Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast. I'm Khani Walshansky, your host, and this is my new exclusive series, Ordinary Moments Create Extraordinary Results. This is where I interview school leaders to share the real, the raw, and the messiness of what it takes to build and sustain a school of excellence. These stories highlight the transformation that's possible and an invitation to my upcoming event, the Summit of Excellence. As the world continues to be volatile, uncertain, and ambiguous, leaders continue to hunt for ways to build culture, hire and retain staff, and create profit and legacy within their center. The need to come together in person has never been greater. This event is for owners, directors, executives, high-level mentor teachers, VP of operations, and truly anyone that is on the leadership team and a stakeholder in the education of the children. This event is a co-creation experience that is highly focused on building your network and your skill set so you continue to learn how to lead within this climate and environment. We have a super high focus on experience and luxury, and we're excited for you to get to connect with other like-minded leaders. By listening into this series of Ordinary Moments, I hope that you walk away with true insights into what it takes to lead an extraordinary center. Are you trying to do it all? Do you think that if you just work a little bit harder, you'd figure it out? (laughs) This is Ordinary Moments Create Extraordinary Results, the real and imperfect routines and systems that build schools of excellence. This is another episode in my six-part series of what it takes to build and sustain schools of excellence, where I'm interviewing school leaders from across the nation to share the real, the raw, and the messy. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Kelly, who is a childcare owner, and she joined the Schools of Excellence community in April of 2021. Today, we talk about the cost of doing it all. In this episode, Jessica really talks about her company, OrgChart, and the process that she went through to create her team. We talk about some of her hard moments in her family life where she was forced to make some really difficult decisions. One of the things that's very unique about this conversation with Jessica is I asked her to talk openly about the grief and loss that is associated with letting go of your old identity of doing it all and embracing 
the new identity of the person who leads instead of managing every single detail and task. She really talks about the hardships of letting the team step up. She shares her moments of pride when the team ran certain things and shares her real moments of grief. She talks about her new mindset and how it's an ever-going practice and process. Leading a school of excellence, owning a school, is a constant practice and process. This isn't something that's a one and done. And through this series of ordinary moments, I hope that you're walking away with the true insights of the messiness behind what it takes to lead an extraordinary life. My conversation with Jessica is truly inspiring for me, and I hope that it touches your heart the way that it did for me. Enjoy this conversation with Jessica Kelly. All right, Jessica, welcome to the podcast and welcome to Ordinary Moments Create Extraordinary Results. So excited to be here with you today and just want to thank you for coming on. Sharing our stories is the bravest thing that we could possibly do to really talk about where we started, where we are, and where we want to go. So the first thing I want to connect with you on is what were some of the rhythms or kind of routines that were going on in the business before you and I first met? And I know we first connected, was that in June of 2021? When did we first connect? Um, actually, it was in April, early April, like right before Easter, I think. Um, so I've been, you know, in the program for nine months. And prior to doing that, you know, I had given up some of my responsibilities as um, director, but not really officially. I was still really involved in the day-to-day every day. And even if I didn't come in, I was still, you know, looking at things on the computer and obsessing over emails. And so I wasn't really not here. I was here mentally, even if I wasn't here physically. And so I knew that, you know, that a change needed to happen. I just knew that I couldn't really do that by myself because I've been down that road. I've been an owner for you know, eight years now. So I thought, well, if I can do this on my own, then I would have done it in the eight years that I could, that I've had to do it. So it was a, it was a leap of faith, but it was, you know, something that I definitely needed to do for myself, my business, my family, for everybody around me. What does it mean that you weren't there physically, like technically, but you were there mentally, like what you just shared? What does it mean to have the mental load of the director but be paying for someone else to try to be doing the execution and the day-to-day? Well, it's really stifling because you're paying somebody else to do this job, but you're not letting them do it. You're still having them, you know, second guess themselves or feel like they have to come to you with things that they really shouldn't have to do. And you're not able to grow as, you know, an owner because you're still thinking like a director, you know, had been a director of this particular program that I've, that I purchased for seven years. So it's still some days I get stuck in the mindset of the director when I can't do that anymore. I have a director, I have an assistant director, I have a program coordinator. I have three very capable individuals who are very good at their jobs and a lot of times better than I was, which is great. So the daily of mentally being here when I'm, even when I'm not here, it affects what's going on here. It affects what's going on at my house because even though I might be home and I might say, okay, I'm going to take the day and, you know, just clean my house, but I'm not really because I'm stopping Mm. my house to check emails or to check in on things when I didn't need to do that. 
I think we struggle with the mental kind of invisible labor because it's not really seen because you didn't you weren't the one that opened the lights or opened the building or you know did all of the stuff that your director or program coordinator is doing but the thinking space and the headspace that it takes that you're taking up that's really not your headspace to take up right someone else's brain is supposed to hold that space when you started to understand that like what were some of the because I know it's never one moment but what were some of the shifts that were happening inside of you when you realized oh, I, this is this is taking up a lot of time or I shouldn't be doing this. Like, how did that start to come in front of your face that you wanted to make those changes? Well, when I started to see that as I stepped back, that my admin team took accountability for things, they were all into things before that they would have said, you know, what do you want me to do about this? And then now they just do it and then they tell me about it, you know, the way that it should be. So I've really been able to see them grow in their positions. Mm-hmm. And so very early on, that showed me that, you know, I'm not just changing things for myself for the better, but I'm doing thing the way that I'm doing it now is better for them because they're able to feel confident in their roles and not feel like they have to come to me with all things. Or it's just, like I said before, I was kind of stifling their progress in their roles because it was me that was doing it. They're yeah. able to shine if I'm not standing in the way. Yeah. So let's, let's uncover that. Cause people that are listening are like, Oh, am I that person? Like, am I getting in the way of the team? Like, how do you start to develop that awareness of, Whoa, one second, I might be a little too over controlling, or I might be a little too much in of where I need to be. You talk about the results here, right? Where it's like, okay, now my team is doing all this stuff. The messiness of the road is what nobody talks about. And that's what this episode is about, right? Like, it's not like one day you're like, okay, guys, now it's all your job. And then boom, everyone just did what they were supposed to do. There's such an unlearning process. Can you shed some light into the beginning of that? And then we'll kind of pull you through the journey here so everyone can hear. Sure. Well, some of it was, you know, conscious decisions. And then some of it was just being stuck in positions where I didn't have a choice. Like I know I've shared with you, but I had a family emergency in August and I had two family members in the hospital. And so, you know, a lot of times, even though if I know I need to do something, I'm not going to do it unless I, I'm not going to go out without kicking and screaming. So (laughs) I'm kind of stubborn like that. So I was put in a position where I really didn't have a choice. I really was like, okay, well, I have to go. I have to be out of state for several weeks. And I can't focus on my family and getting them, you know, better without, if I'm going to obsess over this, the program and obsess over what's going on. So, you know, even though I had made conscious little decisions along the way, I really didn't have a choice. I had to say, I have to do this and I have to do it now. And so it just so happened that our relicensing comes in August. So when it came time to fill out the paperwork, I was like, yeah, don't put my name on there. Not doing it. I don't want to be listed as the director. I will only be listed as the owner. And so, um, you know, I did the first staff meeting of the year, which, you know, we talked about how important that was to set the tone for the new school year. I did it via Zoom, but I did that mostly because I had never missed a um, staff meeting before or the first year, the first day of school. I've never not been here to put kids on the bus and see everybody. And um, so that was really hard, but I feel like, It was so much more important to me to just be with my family and be able to spend time with them 
Um, one of them I did lose. So being able to spend time with him during that moment is priceless. You can't get that back, those moments. So it's been hard. There's still days that it's hard. There's still days when I feel like if I'm not here, then people don't know what I do do behind the scenes. They don't know my heart. You know, they don't get to see how much I do enjoy what I do and spending time with the staff and spending time with the kids, you know. So I think that sometimes the guilt still comes out, but the guilt is nowhere where it was when I first started. The guilt was enormous. It ate me alive to not be here and not be involved in stuff. But now, you know, just seeing how much I get done when I'm not working in the business, I'm working on the business. And I had this thought last night was that, you know, if you don't step aside and run your center, your center will run you. And that's where I was for so many years. Like it was just running me. The day-to-day was running me. I wasn't running anything. I have two follow-up questions to that. And I, I want to start with the the special moments of being there with someone that you love. You know, the series is called Ordinary Moments, Create Extraordinary Results. And Brene Brown talks a lot about how we want to lead these extraordinary lives. We want to have incredible moments. But when crisis hits, what we really want is just that ordinary moment. Just let me hold their hand. Just let me see their smile. Just let me sit with them one more time. We just want... We don't want to go skiing with them. Like we don't want like that. We just want to be next to them. And I think what's so beautiful is you were able to give yourself the gift of a beautiful, ordinary moment that will forever sit in a memory inside of you. And when you talk about if you don't run the center, the center runs you. What were some of the ways that you saw the center running you when you think about the day, your marriage, your relationship, your kids? Like, how was the center running you? I had no boundaries. It didn't matter what time of day it was. If somebody asked a question through text message, Facebook messenger, email, I answered it. Didn't matter if it was dinner time. It didn't matter if it was time to put my son to bed. It it just, you know, I was needed and I felt like I needed to answer that message, even if it Let's wasn't. That. Yeah. We are, cause again, the feeling needed and the desire to show up in service comes from a place of leadership, of service, of wanting to be there. So it's rooted in beauty of coming from a place of generosity. The problem is generosity without boundaries becomes chaos. It becomes anarchy. It becomes, you know, people pleasing. It becomes overcommitment. It becomes underperformance, right? Which is all the things that, that you had beforehand. How did you slowly unlearn the disease to please, the needing to be available even during dinner time? What were the things that you started to unlearn? Um, I just really started to say, you know, this is my time. You know, I'll be available to you 12 hours a day, five days a week, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. But after that, this is my time for my family. And um, my husband would probably tell you that it was because he would get mad at me all the time. Because, talk about that. As you know, as ready to share. Like talk because nobody talks about these things, how these things impact marriages. These yeah. things impact relationships. They are the slow undoing of the people that we love most because we want to show up in service here. So as much as you're willing to share, we'd love to hear kind of how that dynamic played itself out. It is still ongoing, but it's better than it used to be. Um, You know, it has caused a lot of turmoil as far as the fact that, you know, I would be ever present for this place 
and not ever be present at home. And so regardless of what was going on, I would still be, you know, just involved. Like my headspace was always wrapped around here. And so it does cause, you know, then communication issues, because when you own a business with your spouse, you know, my husband is 50% owner of this business. And so, but that was an adjustment because I had been the director of the program for seven years. So when I was a director of the program, I didn't have to ask his opinion about anything. I just did it because I worked here. And then when we took over ownership of the business, it became a problem because then all of a sudden he was 50%, you know, invested in, now it was a partnership versus just me doing what I've been doing. And so we've had to really work on that communication of, well, you didn't talk to me about that. And I'm like, I don't have to talk to you. You know, like that was the problem. And then, so just the, when your business is running you and you're involved in the day-to-day and you're here and you're in the midst of everything, all the messiness all day, the last thing you want to do is have a conversation about a budget. But then when you get home after that day, the last thing you want to do is have a conversation about a budget. So I never want to talk when I'm here working and I never wanted to talk when I got home. So there was definitely some, you know, things that we had to work out as far as like, when can we get together and talk about the things that we need to talk about together as business owners and husband and wife without it becoming a source of contention. I think financials, I mean, if you look at any kind of relationship experts or financial experts, they talk so much about how financials and budgeting really comes between couples. And so much of that has to do with the lack of designated times to talk about it. Like we try to have financial conversations over like frying onions and like grilling chicken and like, oh, by the way, I made this financial decision like while you're setting the table. And then it doesn't invite curiosity and dialogue and, you know, respectful debate. You know, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't agree with this, right? Because both of your headspace is in a completely different place. And so everyone's just in fight or flight or freeze. So what I hear you sharing is, as you intentionally created mental space to have these difficult conversations with your partner is where some of the kind of higher profit margins, um, better sustainability, um, understanding better financial acumen really started to take its ripple effect in the company. Yes, very much so. And, you know, there's still days when I'm like, I, I don't, I, don't <laughs> I didn't mean to go over this, but, you know, I understand the importance of making time for it because I don't want for that to be, you know, it's a balance. Sometimes I want to talk to my husband when I get home, not my, you know, business partner. And yeah. sometimes I want to talk to my business partner and I don't want to talk to my husband because I'm mad at him. Yes. <laughs> so yes. We just have to set those boundaries and, and be really aware of it. I love what you're sharing here because this is what real life looks like. It's not like, oh, so now we create an intentional conversation and we never argue anymore on money or now we do this. And so we never have... That is not life. Life is boundaries and a push and pull, you know, setting intentions and then, you know, something happens and then someone forgets and we need to forgive and we need to, you know, give grace. Like that's what real life is. The difference of what you're seeing here is now there's this hyper consciousness and awareness of, oh, we're going down that rabbit hole again. We need to have a conversation. We need to realign, right? As opposed to like sitting longer in the funk, um, which is, you know, what, what, what happened until now. So Let's transition to the people leadership side where um, you currently have, just remind us again, your current leadership team um, in, in the business. Um, we have 25 staff. Okay. 
And then who sits on the leadership? Do you have a program coordinator or a director? Who sits on the administration? We have a director, um, okay. an assistant director. And then we have a program coordinator who is in charge of curriculum and all things, you know, mm -hmm. program wise. And then I have team leaders who work on training, new staff mm -hmm. and things like that. But that's the majority of the admin. Do you ever feel like sometimes that you're like the mother hen for your center and you need to show people what to do and show them how to do it and walk them through each step of the way? <sighs> this is normal. And we want to shift that to really empower team to embrace what I call the bridge method, which are the six very specific skills that staff and leadership team need to be consistently trained, coached, and mentored on to be able to up-level to truly sustain excellence in their organization. And the bridge is an acronym for boundaries, creating really great interpersonal and personal boundaries, relational intelligence, understanding how to have conversation with parents, with other key stakeholders, with one another, and lean into those difficult conversations, Individual advocacy, being able to say what you want and knowing what you want and being able to clearly articulate what you want and not expecting the owner or the leader to anticipate every single one of your needs. Discernment, being able to understand and discern when do I need to come to the owner for this and when do I need to have the permission to just do this on my own. Generosity, not leading from a place of a zero-sum game, but showing up from a place of generosity and benevolence for the team. And lastly, emotional regulation. Understanding how to regulate our emotions before we go into conversation or while we're in conversation with other people. And so the bridge method is what I'm gonna be teaching at the Summit of Excellence live and in person in Florida along with some other amazing speakers like Vernon Neeson and Beth Cannon and Kathy Petchel and uh, Scott Weeman. These people are gonna be coming here to support, to create and deliver incredible content. And we're looking forward to greeting all of our guests that are gonna be joining us in the Lakeside Terrace on March 1st and 2nd. If you're interested in signing up and registering for this incredible experience, and I hope you do check it out if it's a right fit for you, go check out schoolsofexcellence.com slash summit or click the link in the show notes. So when you have such a robust leadership team, even just the three people that you have, there is a hyper awareness of roles and responsibilities and every person needs to be in their lane and every person has metrics, every person's responsible for very specific things. I'd love for you to talk about the guilt and grief phase of not being the person who did all of those things that they're doing and the transition to what am I supposed to do if I'm not doing all of this? Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that guilt and grief. Sure. Well, you know, one of the hardest, well, I guess the two hardest things that you give up when you transition fully to an owner out of a director position is, you know, interviewing staff is one of the hardest things. Choosing your team, choosing the people that are on the daily responsible for the children that have been put in your charge and that affect your livelihood is extremely frightening and hard to do. But that's where I, I do trust my director knows like what I look for. We did it. Wow. We, we interviewed together okay. for a while. 
So we would be on the same page. The questions, we go over the questions, like, what do you, you know, I share with her resources, you know, on what to ask and what to look for and, you know, looking for a character. So we're pretty much on the same page when it comes to that kind of stuff. I want to interrupt you just for one second here. I want to bring to everyone's attention who's listening. It wasn't that she delegated to her director and say, okay, now you're in charge of hiring. I'm no longer doing this. There's a transition phase where you modeled for her. Let's interview together. Let me show you company values. Let me, and then tell me about a time where she messed up and didn't do it right. Cause that happens. Right. And then how did you kind of come back from that? Like, I want to really share the real and the raw here. Like yeah. people need to understand that this is not a one of one and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there'll be times when somebody will come in for orientation and I'm kind of like very in tune with, you know, everything when people first come in and first impressions and I'll be like, eh, not real, you know, not real sure if I, if I would have given that opportunity to that person. And so I'm like, you know, let's just try it out and see how okay. it goes. Okay. Um, Cause you know, I've had, they're going to be great. You meet them and they're great, but you put them in the classroom and it's just not that way and vice versa, where you think that person will last two days and that you have them for three years. And so you know, I'm obviously wrong about things as well, but there'll be times when I'm like, that's not really, that's probably somebody I would have not chosen, but we just talk about things. We just say, you know, there, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be things where it was like, I wouldn't have handled it that way. Not that what you did was necessarily wrong. It just Mm -hmm. wasn't you know, the way I would have done it. And that's okay. But she's a very open and honest person. And she just wants to know. The one thing about my director, I will say is that if I do tell her something that she did that she needs to correct, she will never do it again. She will fix it and she will move on and she won't be upset about it. And she'll just fix it and move on. And it's a godsend because, you know, that's really something that's rare, especially when you're dealing with such high emotions as we do every day. I want to unpack that for a second. Sorry. I know I keep kind of jumping in with, with, with further questions. That's so, okay. Yeah. I really want to talk about this. Isn't like luck that Jessica has a director like this, where there's open dialogue and open communication or whatever it is. There is so much intentional training that's done very subconsciously. The fact that Jessica leans into difficult conversations is what gives the director the courage to say, oh, okay, my mistake is not deadly. I can own up to it. It's okay. I'm not going to be fired. The fact that you are respectful when you say, you know, I would have done it a little bit differently and you don't hold in your emotions. You don't hold in your resentment. You have that conversation with her. All of these things really lay the path for this open dialogue. This is why I always talk about the number one metric for great cultures is difficult conversations. The more you have, the better culture you're going to have. So yes, I do believe she's highly qualified and I do believe God sent you a beautiful blessing and always grateful for God's blessings. And I also believe that there's so much work that comes with God's blessings. I do. I do agree with that. And some of it um, subconscious, I guess. So, you know, at first, I think when I got pregnant with my son, she had been here two years. And so when I got ready to think about going on maternity leave and being out of the building for that long, I was like, okay, I'm going to leave my business with somebody who I've only had for two years. And that stressed me out. Um, but, But during that time, you know, I promoted one of my teachers to the program coordinator that had been here for at that time, um, six years, Mm -hmm. seven years, seven years. So that way I had that person that I had the loyalty from and I knew would protect, you know, what we've built. And then I had the person who I knew was eventually going to be, you know, the director. So it really allowed during that time that I wasn't here to overshadow what she was doing. So she really 
showed me that she did have it in there. Cause at first I was like, you know, I'm not real sure. There was times when I was like, oh yeah, we've got this. This is going to be great. And there's other times when I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like it's going the direction that I want it to go. And so during that time of me taking 10 weeks from maternity leave with my son, I was like, oh, seeing these glimpses of, you know, this is really going to be, you know, yeah. what I thought yeah. it was, it was going to be, but it didn't come, you know, now she's been here five years. And so, you know, we're very comfortable with each other and talking to each other and, you know, whether it's my conversations with her, my husband's conversations with her, but we did have to work on that a lot because like you said, having difficult conversations is important, but it's not easy. Sometimes it, it is hard. It's sure. never easy. I don't think really. No. So let's go back to the grief and the guilt, because I don't think this is, this isn't talked about enough. I don't think these transitions are clearly documented or spoken about. And I think owners hold on to so much guilt and stay in the day-to-day operations way longer than they have to, because they don't know how to release the shame and the grief that's associated with letting go of a former identity. So would love if you can dive into just a little bit more of how you let go of that identity of being the doer to being the designer, the builder, and the creator. Yeah. So the second thing that I think I mourn the most is just having those daily um, interactions with the children Mm. and their families. And so I do mourn that a lot. Like this morning, I was here early, earlier than normal. And a little girl who just comes in the morning, she is um, 10 and she just comes in the morning. So usually I I don't see her. I haven't seen her in a long time because she just gets on the bus and goes to school. And then mom picks her up in the afternoon. And we just had this huge moment of like, I haven't seen you in forever and big hugs. And you know, she's not a little girl anymore. She's turning into a little preteen. And I was just taken aback by that. And then she was like, you know, I haven't seen you in forever. I didn't know if I was ever going to see you again. You know, she's a little Mm -hmm. dramatic, but those are the moments that I'm like, I really mourn you know, because when I go into the rooms, if I haven't been here, even if it's only been three days, the kids will be like, where have you been? I've missed you, you know? And I'm like, that just kind of rips my heart out a little bit because, you know, we all do this for the kids. We wouldn't do any of this crazy madness if it wasn't for our love of the children. Let's be honest. So, you know, those are the things that I'm like, that really, that's one of my top two, just guilt. Yeah. Um, It just gets, it gets to me, but I know that I've done that. I did sacrifice a lot for so many years. You know, I've been in the business almost 20 years. So I have sacrificed so much to do that on the daily. And so, and I know that I can't be who I need to be for my admin team, for my teaching staff. If I am here and present every day, all day long and be in that role, then something's going to suffer. And usually it does, because like you said, it's the ripple effect. So it does always trickle down to the children. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we'd love to hear what are some of either the practices that you have or some, just some of the work that you do to release that guilt and, and to step more fully into, I'm Jessica, I'm the CEO, I'm the owner of this company. Most of it is really mindset. I never in my heart want to be an absentee owner. That's not for me. And so I know that, that that's not something that I would want to do. So as far as the, most of it is mindset when it comes to just knowing that this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do, but just taking the times, picking and choosing the things where you like, okay, I can't be present for that, but I am going to be present for this. We went on family vacation in October to the beach 
we weren't here for fall festival. I love fall festival. Halloween is my, is my holiday. So for me not to be here and see the kids all dressed up and enjoy that with them, that was really hard for me. But when I looked at the pictures for the first time forever, I was happy. I wasn't sad. I was happy because I was with my family at the beach. The kids still had a fantastic fall festival. They looked great. Everybody had a good time, but it wasn't because I made a sacrifice, you know, it was because they really enjoyed it. And so that was probably the first time that I've ever looked at those kinds of pictures from a celebration that I wasn't at and I didn't feel bad and I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't sad. I was just happy because what a milestone. It went on without me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> your business, without you. And yes, so. the business succeeded without you, right? It succeeded without you physically being it, or it succeeded because of the culture and the environment that you've built. And it's okay to step back. It's okay for the business to take care of you. Because that's ultimately what it did. You were at the beach and the business was still taking care of you, right? Yes. The bill still got paid. All that stuff still happened. Yes. One thing that I wrote down yesterday when I was making notes about to talk, things to talk about today was um, instead of, you know, thinking like, I can't, I can't not be there. I can't not be present. I had to change that from I can't to they can. Like mm-hmm. I had to stop thinking about what I could and couldn't do. And I started thinking about what they can and they can do. They can do this without me. Actually, most of the time are better off without me, honestly, because then they're not really thinking, okay, well, does she want to handle this or do I want to handle this? And I'm like, no, you handle it. I'm here if you need me. Like I want to be, you know, very supportive, but I don't want anybody thinking that I don't believe in them because I do. They've proven it. Mm-hmm. I love that tweak in in your, in the choice of words that you're making, right? So, because when we operate from a place of I can't, the mind almost gets blocked with, well, of course you can't, right? As opposed to, no, they can, and that releases that for yourself. What are some ordinary moments that you experience on a day-to-day basis now with your family that you're grateful for because of the work that you've done over the last couple months? We do mornings together. Um, I'm not a morning person. I never have been, but I have faked it till I make it for, you know, many years. I'm not a morning person. So with my son and my husband, we like to do slow mornings. We like to get up. We're not in a hurry. If we don't have anywhere to be at a certain time, we just have breakfast, get out the house when we can. And so we have our time together in the mornings. And so that's it. You know, it seems ordinary, but I think it's a huge deal because I don't think a lot of people get to do that anymore. They're always rushing, 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 and we don't have to rush anymore. So that's very important to me. You know, since I I do have a child who's 23, you know, and I've been in childcare for 20 years. I didn't get to do that with her. I think it's funny because, you know, when you have your own children and you are in the childcare industry, you know, you're like, I got into the childcare industry to be with my child, to spend more time with my child, but I did not do that. I spent a lot more time with other people's children than I did with my own child. And mm-hmm. so for him, because I have, I'm in a different place now than I was then, you know, I'm not going to do that with him. I'm going to make sure that I take the time um, for him and be with him intentionally. So. I love those ordinary moments of morning. There's just something so magical about just pancakes or waffles or just sitting at the bar or at the kitchen island and just not needing to look at the clock, like just enjoying that slow morning. What is an ordinary moment that you're grateful for in the center? 
ordinary moments in the center. So many things. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids are practicing right now for their Christmas program on Thursday and the songs that they sing, just listening to them sing, just see the magic on their face when they come in um, and they look at the Christmas tree and they're just intrigued about things, you know, just those tiny little moments of um, things that you just take for granted or that if you didn't stop and give them a hug, then you would miss out on that. They would say, they say the funniest things all the time to you. And those are the moments or a moment where, you know, you have a teacher who's been out sick for a couple of days and you could allow her to do that um, without her feeling guilty and have her come back and really feeling a hundred percent. It's like, these are the moments when you're like, okay, you know, we're, we're doing this together. We are a community. We're together. And it's not just, you could just really be present in the moment and intentional with your relationships, with your families, with your children, with your staff, and it not just always be a constant, like, go, 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 or just moving on to the next crisis, always putting out the fires. I think what's so beautiful when you share, you know, seeing the kids' faces, listening to them sing these songs, these moments add joy and meaning into our lives. And when we get to enjoy these moments, our lives are richer because of it. And we think it's something so simple like seeing the kids' faces smile. And I know that many people that are listening do see children smile. The difference is, is is your mental space in a place to embrace that and enjoy what a child's smile brings to our life? Or are you racing past the smile because you're jumping to the next crisis as you just shared? So it's such a small tweak, but it is a massive difference in the impact that it makes in our life. Yes. You're able to actually enjoy you know, your time in the center versus just feeling like you're always being pulled in a different direction. Yeah. So I have two more kind of thoughts I want to, I want to talk about here. One is looping back to the boundaries because the boundaries are truly those micro moments that have created this massive ripple effect of like not responding after a certain hour. And like, it's these little boundaries. So I'd love for you to share for those that are listening what is one simple boundary that they could start to implement to start to create this kind of impact in their lives? I would definitely set hours of communication with your staff, with your families. And, you know, if you do that from the get go, I think you'll be much better off than trying to do that after you've been made yourself fully available. But I think you need to realize that it is okay to say, you know, I'm available between this hour and this hour. And after that, if you ask me what the letter of the week is for show and tell, like, I'm not going to answer you. It's not because I don't care, not because I don't love you, but because this is my family time. Mm. And, um, you know, everybody should respect that. So, um, you know, I think just setting that boundary and trying to realize that, you know, if there is something urgent that needs to be brought to your attention, then it will get to you. But there are so many things that can wait till the next day. Yes. Yes. I love that. Right. Or even in a half hour, right. Or an hour, like not everything is this second. So I'd love for you to leave us with just a, you shared with us your ordinary moments in in your life, ordinary moments kind of in, in your center, some boundaries, some communication systems. When you think of who you are today, you know, Jessica today in December of 2021, different from Jessica in April of 2021. What does the new Jessica believe about herself, about her true role in her company and the impact that she's making in the childcare space? 
Um, I feel a renewed passion and a renewed confidence in my mission and what I'm doing. You know, you get stuck in the daily grind and you don't see the bigger picture. You just see everything coming at you and everything you have to handle on the daily basis. And you don't see, you don't see those impacts, you know, the bigger picture of what you're doing and, and how you're affecting the community and how you're affecting families around you. And so very different in that, as far as, you know, feeling like this is something I want to keep doing for a while. <laughs> cause for, you know, cause whew, you know, doing it during a pandemic is difficult. Doing it not in a pandemic is difficult. So I feel like now I'm able to focus on the bigger picture and and what is next, the next steps. You know, what is next for what is next for me? What is next for our company? And so we're able to look forward um, instead of just looking in the now. And so it's just made, you know, an incredible impact on how I can look forward to something in the future and, you know, what that's going to be for our center, which is really cool because we've been talking about expanding for a long time, but we haven't done anything. And we're actually in the process of, you know, meeting and getting plans drawn up. So it's going to happen. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Ordinary Moments and take a couple minutes to pause and self-reflect on how this really might impact you, your family, and the center. So I also want to share that the Summit of Excellence is very fast approaching. It's going to be held on March 1st and 2nd, 2022, right here in Florida. And sometimes we like to know what have some previous attendees shared? What is really going to be the impact on my center? What has the ROI been? How is it really taken into account leadership skills and long-term impact of culture and really creating profit and legacy within the organization? So take a listen into what some of our attendees have had to say about our past events. This really is the best professional development that I have found. I've gone to a lot of conferences. This one is beyond just getting information. This has been my third live event. Every single time I attend a live event, it's totally different because Khani continues to up her game, continues to do research, continues to refine exactly what she's giving over. There's a lot of positive energy here. Connie does a really good job of hand-picking and curating everyone who ends up here because other conferences, if you're, you're, you're talking to people, there's a, you know, there can be a, a slight negativity. People bring their problems. They're, you know, they're, 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 they're a little bit more apt to say, well, I, 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 that would never work at my school. I've tried that before, but I don't know. There's, there's a different energy here. The Summit of Excellence is truly an experience for the school leader who wants to drive more impact in their community, be inspired by a network of peers, deliver high-quality care to the children, and build a team of leaders. So if you are even a little curious about this event, after all the stuff that you've been hearing about it, and you are looking to connect with someone and have a personal conversation, then we have some contact information for you right here in the show notes. You'll be able to connect with someone from my team or myself for you to understand more. Is the Summit of Excellence right for you? Is it right for your team? Is it right for your center? Sometimes we just need to have that conversation with someone to alleviate our concerns, to be able to ask those questions about how it makes sense for you. And I totally understand it, right? This event is capped at 100 people. It's a curated experience. We want to make sure that 
if you are the right fit, you're in this room and making sure that we're really creating this experience for you and for all the attendees that are going to join us. So if you'd like to connect with myself or the team, please click the link in the show notes for more contact information. And I look forward to connecting with you. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.